Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. With the 2019 election in Colorado approaching, shareholder Sarah Mercer and associate David Meshke provide an update on the election, including information about two statewide referred ballot measures, propositions CC and DD, and voter trends so far in 2019, and take a quick look ahead at the 2020 election. Welcome back to another version of the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. I'm Sarah Mercer, a partner in our government relations department. And with me is David Meshke, an associate in our litigation group. Hey, David. Hi, Sarah. So we're here today to talk about an election that's happening, and it's not the one that's happening in 2020. No, we're actually going to talk about the 2019 election, one of those strange odd year ones. It feels like all we've been hearing about is the 2020 election, and it's so easy to forget that there is actually an election next Tuesday. It is strange to think about, especially since I feel like if you go online, all you see uh, stuff about the presidential election, maybe some stuff on the Senate election, which we'll we'll briefly touch on later in this podcast, um, but very little about this coming Tuesday. And there's a lot of really important things that are on the ballot in odd year elections. Uh, You know, certainly there's a lot of local measures that voters vote on, uh, local elected officials, school boards, statewide ballot measures. Although these elections don't get as much media attention, they oftentimes are just as important and sometimes more important for the day-to-day workings of especially local governments, but even the state government. That's exactly right, Sarah. And for those in Colorado that want to uh, vote in in this election coming up on Tuesday, there is still time to do so. As many know, Colorado is one of those few states that actually has a vote-by-mail election, meaning that ballots are automatically sent to all registered voters that are in what is called an active status. Um, And most Colorado voters are in active status. But if if you want to figure out if your ballot is, you can always go to the Colorado Secretary of State's website and, and figure that out. For those voters who are active and you have received your ballot in the mail, uh, it's probably unfortunately too late to mail in your ballot. And that's because the Secretary of State really likes for all those ballots to get there by a certain amount of time and actually require that the actual ballot get to one of those election officials by seven o'clock on election day. Yeah, so you've got to turn your ballot in by 7 p.m. It's not good enough for it to be postmarked. So in order to ensure that your votes count, you've got to go drop it off. And it's pretty easy to find those drop-off locations. It seems like there are drop-off locations, you know, everywhere. And you've got to drop it off in your county, too. But there's a list of them on most of the county's websites and on the state website, too, right? It, it's usually pretty easy. And there's some that you can drive to and others that you can walk to. I know I've I've taken my ballot to a little box over by... Um, the light rail at Union Station multiple times. <laughs> That's great. That must be in your within your county. You must live in Denver. I, I do. Yeah, so the other thing that's unique about Colorado in the way that our voting rules work is that you can register to vote all the way up until 7 p.m. So even though it's a vote-by-mail state, so everybody gets a mail-in ballot, if you prefer to vote in person, you can still go to a polling center. Those two are all listed online, and you can vote in person if you just prefer to do that rather than mail it in um, or drop it off, rather. But you can also register all the way up until 7 p.m. and register the same. We have same day registration voting and voting here in Colorado. And you don't need to register with a party in order to register to vote. You can remain as an unaffiliated voter as well. So just one website to plug uh, is GoVoteColorado.com. That's the Secretary of State's website. Again, it's GoVoteColorado.com. There you can 
check your registration status on the Find My Registration tool. And you can also link to uh, sample ballots and other resources that you might need. Uh, thanks, Sarah. And, and now that we've talked about how you can vote, let's, let's talk a little bit about what's, what's actually going to be on the ballot. And, and Sarah, um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about uh, uh, that there are a lot of local elections. Um, there actually are two statewide ballot measures that are going to be on there. Can you, can you let them know what those are about? Yeah, sure. Let's just do the local government stuff first. So as I mentioned, There are school board elections in just about every jurisdiction and district. And we also have municipal elections where people can vote for their city council people as well as for the mayors. And some of the big municipalities that are having their elections during this cycle and that will be elected on Tuesday include Arvada, Boulder, Broomfield, Centennial, uh, Golden, Greeley, Louisville, Wheat Ridge, Westminster, North Glen, Thornton. So there's a lot of municipal elections where local officials are being elected. And, you know, for those folks, they don't usually raise enough money or have enough money to have ads on TV. But these are folks who you may have seen in your grocery stores or knocking on your door um, or at local forums that you might have uh, in your jurisdiction. And in addition to the school board and local city council elections and mayoral elections. Also, there are questions on the ballots that involve home rule cities. So these are towns and municipalities that might have charter changes. So those two will be on the ballot for voters, as well as uh, local TABOR measures. And uh, that leads us really well into our discussion of the statewide referred ballot measures that are on everybody's ballot in this election, and that's Proposition CC and Proposition DD. The uh, reason that they're called propositions and not amendments um, or initiatives is because these two measures were referred by the state legislature during the legislative session to voters, meaning that the state legislature drafted up the language for these measures, came up with the idea, drafted the language, and passed through the legislative bodies this language to ask the voters whether or not they want to do these things. Now, both of these propositions, which would be statutory changes, are related to TABOR, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, which David has been a frequent subject of our previous podcasts. It it seems to be something we're talking about almost every single podcast. And and, uh, since we're on the subject of TABOR, um, as many of you already know, if you've been listening to to our podcast, um, Tabor both restricts taxes that can be levied against citizens and the spending power of the state. And so uh, these measures actually touch on various aspects of those. Yeah. So Proposition CC asks voters and deals with the spending um, component of it. So the government can't grow uh, under Tabor by more than a factor that's calculated by population growth plus inflation. And when the government revenues that, that it takes in from taxes exceed that amount, there must be a refund to voters. And there's not a Tabor refund in every year, but we are anticipating Tabor refunds uh, in the next year or two years at least. And so Proposition CC asks permission for the state government to keep the revenues that it collects above those spending limits, and rather than refunding them to taxpayers. And the legislature has said what it wants to use those funds for is for transportation, higher education, and K-12 education, and that it will split those revenues equally among all three of those um, 
those areas of spending. Some of you uh, who are listening may remember uh, we had referendum C and referendum D a while back, uh, which was a Tabor timeout. And the, the Tabor timeout was to allow the state government to keep revenues for a specific period of time. This Proposition CC would allow the state government to keep revenues above the Tabor cap in perpetuity and forever. It's uh, also colloquially known as debrucing. And most local jurisdictions have debruced. I think over 80% of counties have asked their voters at some point in the past whether or not they can keep the revenues above their local government um, spending limits. Nearly 100% of school districts have, and there is a similarly high percent, at least in the 90s, of municipalities who have. So this debrucing is not new to voters, though it is from a statewide perspective. That's very interesting, Sarah. And uh, before we get to Proposition DD, uh, as, as a reminder for our listeners, since we're talking about a 2019 ballot, which is an odd year election, all of the uh, statewide referred measures, or if there were any, but there aren't, um, citizen driven initiatives have to concern Tabor. And, and so that's why if you look at your 2019 ballot and you're wondering why there are so few questions you're voting on, it's because uh, of that limitation in Tabor that requires those measures to concern Tabor itself. And that's a great clarification, David, because I think when people think about Proposition DD, they might not necessarily think about it as a Tabor measure. So Proposition DD would legalize sports betting, which on its face doesn't sound like it would have anything to do with taxes. But the reality is the legislature could have and still could, I guess if Proposition DD doesn't pass, legalize sports gambling without asking voters for um, approval or permission. But what the legislature would like to do is to impose a new 10% tax on the net proceeds from sports betting, and that does require a vote of the people. So that's why Proposition DD, which is to legalize sports betting, is before the people uh, this election cycle because it's to legalize sports betting and to tax it. That's exactly right, Sarah. And um, one important piece of Proposition DD is that it would be paid for by casino operators. So even though casino operators would pay for it and, and really wouldn't be on the taxpayer's bill, it still is an increase in taxes, and so it has to go to a vote. Yeah, that's sort of the mechanics of it. So as an individual, if you, say, won a bet, if you won a bet that you would place on um, on a, on a football game um, or a basketball game or a hockey game, you would not have to pay tax out of your winnings. The casino in all of the proceeds and all of the revenues that it collects from sports betting would pay those on, on their end. And also what Proposition DD makes clear is that the proceeds uh, and the taxes that are paid from sports betting revenues will go to fund the state's water plan. So there is some allocation, a small amount of allocation for um, the regulatory operations that are required to get the sports betting up and running, as well as for um, gambling addiction uh, resources. But the vast majority, I think it's like 93% of the money is going to fund the state's uh, water plan, which is something that um, the legislature has prioritized and the governor's office has prioritized as being really critical to thinking about water conservation for the state for years to come, decades to come, really. So 
now that we've talked about what's going to be on the ballot, let's talk about what it's looking like in terms of ballots that are being returned. Uh, The Secretary of State's office each day puts out information about the ballots that have been returned. Now, of course, this doesn't disclose how people have voted, but... Uh, If my ballot was returned uh, in the system, it would indicate that I have returned my ballot. And that information is sort of quasi-public information um, so that, say, the proponents of Proposition DD who might be trying to call people and increase voter turnout would know that I already turned my ballot in. And so they wouldn't need to waste their time calling me. They could call somebody else who hasn't turned their ballot in. So we have quite a bit of information, actually, about the the demographics of who has turned their ballot in. Again, not how they voted, but but who's turned their, their ballot in. And David, what have you seen in those statistics that is of interest? Well, in addition to seeing if individuals have turned in their ballot, uh, the Secretary of State also keeps data on which party each of those people is registered with. So what, what we have uh, um, from Secretary of State's website is a lot of information on who these voters are in terms of party affiliation and how they compare to trends in voting previously. So to kind of step back a little bit, Colorado, again, is, a, is a, does a mail-in election. And so these are ballots that have been already turned in, most likely through the mail to date. And since this mail-in system is only a few election cycles old, we can at least compare that data to previous years, although it doesn't go back, um, I think, before about two or three election cycles ago. Yeah, and given that even-year elections where we have presidential elections and, uh, and more highly prominent statewide races, it's really only only useful to compare the data from that we're seeing from this election cycle in 2019 to odd-year elections like 2015 and 2017. And when I look at the data, one of the things that jumps out to me is Republicans continue to behave how they are, I think, stereotyped for behaving, which is that they are very diligent, they get their ballot, they fill it out, and they turn it in. And we see through the data that the Republican returns of their ballots has outpaced the Democrats pretty significantly and also outpaces the unaffiliated. And we see that as a trend going back certainly to 2015, but that's sort of, I think, is, a, is something that happens in all elections is that we always tend to see the Democrat ballot returns uh, really uh, escalate and really come in right there at the very, very end. And, and in fact, the Republican ballot turnout to date is actually larger than what we've seen in other year elections, and the Democrats have not kept pace, and so that gap is actually larger than it's been in other odd-year elections. And, and to put it in a little bit more perspective, in Colorado, there's not an even distribution between um, number of Republican-registered um, voters and the number of Democrat-registered voters, although the number of Democrat, Republican, and, and unaffiliated voters was roughly equal uh, in twenty. 20- um, that's when uh, President Obama was elected. That, that has diverged since that time. Uh, if we're looking at more current data, the number of unaffiliated voters has actually increased significantly and is by far the largest category now. And Democrats and Republicans have, have trailed, and Democrats, I think, are slightly ahead of Republicans in the number of registered voters, although that, that margin is not a, an extremely large amount. 
Yeah, that's right. You know, we often hear people say that Colorado's electorate is split a third, a third, a third between Democrats, Republicans, and unaffiliateds. And that was true in 2008. And since then, the unaffiliateds have really outpaced the affiliated voters. So now, according to the Secretary of State's um, most recent voter registration, and this was as of just two days ago, because again, people can register and uh, change their party affiliation in person at these polling centers. So the most recent data shows that there's nearly 40% of the electorate is unaffiliated, 39.68%, whereas uh, 30%, 30.11% are affiliated with the Democratic Party, and 28.44% are affiliated with the Republican Party. So party affiliation that we've seen has really decreased since 2008. And of course, we had our first open primary elections uh, in 2018, just last year, but which may end up resulting in more unaffiliated voters who can who will see that in 2020, both for the presidential election and for statewide races, they can participate in a party primary without being affiliated with a party. So we may see that unaffiliated voter registration go up even more. But that trend increasing the unaffiliated voters really has been has just been on a march since 2008 and didn't really have that much to do with 2018 and the change to open primaries. Yeah, and and Sarah, another factor that is increasing those number of unaffiliated voters is the large number of transplants that are coming to Colorado. Uh, they tend to be younger, and younger voters tend to be unaffiliated. Um, so to take it back to what we're seeing from the Secretary of State's website on current voter turnout, uh, as Sarah said, we're seeing that Republicans are definitely in the lead. But what's interesting is that unaffiliated voters are not making up a large chunk of, of those ballots that have been or have not returned a large number of those ballots and are actually behaving a little bit differently than what they did in the previous odd year election. Yeah, what I really see in, in, in the data is that the unaffiliated voters who in the past maybe even returned their ballots later and fewer of them returned their ballots than the affiliated voters are actually behaving almost identically to Democrats voters. So what we see is on the Secretary of State's uh, graph, the Republican line is, in terms of the ballot returns, is above because more number, a greater number of Republican-affiliated voters have returned their ballots. The Democrat-affiliated voters and the unaffiliated voters are almost right on top of each other. So they are returning in, in, in sort of similar numbers, although, of course, David, as you pointed out, because the unaffiliateds make up a greater percentage, they're returning, fewer of them are returning their ballots. But I think that is an indicator of something that I have heard some uh, political consultants and analysts say, which is that, by and large, unaffiliated voters are Democrat voters, are the voters who used to be Democrats, but now maybe are more in the center or maybe just don't really feel like they want to have a party affiliation. And so it's very interesting that what we're seeing in the ballot return behavior is nearly identical behavior between the Democrats and the unaffiliateds. And the other statistics that I have heard is that unaffiliateds behaving like Democrats is it's something like six or seven out of 10 voters who are unaffiliated will align their votes with the Democrats, which really, I think, looking out to 2020 is very significant for what we are, we're going to have an incredibly competitive U.S. Senate race. And I think that's one of the reasons why. It's not just because our 
electorate is split so evenly because it's actually these unaffiliated voters are now almost 40% of our electorate. But the real big question mark is who are these unaffiliated voters going to vote for? And, and we'll have to see if they turn out in greater numbers than they've done in the past. Since this is an odd year election, um, turnout's usually not as, as robust as in even year elections. But traditionally, voters who are registered with a political party turn out in greater numbers than unaffiliated voters. But that may be changing as well. So looking at uh, 2020, at another aspect of the 2020 race, our favorite aspect ballot initiatives, um, we are already seeing a lot of action for 2020. So even though there are no citizen-initiated ballot measures on the 2019 ballot, we sure have a lot in the hopper for 2020. Yeah, normally uh, what you see in terms of 2020 ballot initiatives are a lot popping up around this time. But since these ballot initiatives can be proposed as early as uh, this uh, 2019, this year, um, we've actually seen over 100 filed with Colorado Legislative Services to start the process. And we actually have three citizen initiatives that have already been approved for circulation and, and, and their proponents can start gathering signatures. Do you want to mention just briefly what those subjects are? Those three actually have a wide range of subjects. Um, there's, there's one initiative that uh, specifies that only a citizen rather than every citizen may qualify to vote in all elections. It's, it's a little bit unclear what those proponents are actually trying to get at there, but they obviously have something they're, they're trying to push forward. Uh, the other two are a little bit easier to understand. Um, one would reintroduce the gray wolf to Colorado, and the other would prohibit late-term abortions. Both of those are likely to get a lot of uh, public opinion one side or the other, and uh, it'll be interesting to see um, what the voters think of those. One perennial uh, favorite that I am keeping my close eye on is the uh, elimination of daylight savings time. That's one that we always see, and uh, we'll be interested to see if that if those folks are continuing to fly that flag uh, in 2020. So yeah, we see we really do see a wide range of subjects, and uh, people are moving all of that through. Well, you can obviously keep up to date on all of the 2020 ballot measures and the results of the 2019 election on the statewide propositions CC and DD by visiting our ballot initiative tracker at our website. And David, thanks as always for being with me today. It's my pleasure, Sarah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.